All right, well, like we were talking about, today we're beginning a brand new series on the subject of pride. And pride really is the problem at the center of all our problems. Pride is often the reason that we have uh, problems with people. It's often the reason that we get in arguments and fights. Pride is that thing inside all of us that, you know, uh, gets upset when someone else gets the raise or the promotion and we don't. Pride is that thing inside of us that keeps us from, you know, giving a compliment to someone. Pride is that thing inside of us that keeps us from celebrating other people's successes. And even even in marriages, sometimes a husband will envy the success of his wife or the wife will envy the success of of her husband. And, and, And pride is that thing in all of us that we all have. And it's something we all deal with. And here in this story, you have Nebuchadnezzar, who at the time is the king, uh, the emperor of Babylon, which is the, the, the most powerful nation in the world. I mean, this is the most powerful man on earth. And he tells us a story. And it's actually Nebuchadnezzar telling the story. And it might have been something he wrote down and journaled. And maybe Daniel just added it to his, to his book there. And of course, we know it's all through the word of God. But if, if you look there at verse number one, Daniel chapter four, It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. He says, I have a story. He said, I've got something I I want to tell all people, all nations, all languages, all that dwell on the earth. Because here's what you got to understand. Every single one of us deals with this problem of pride. Now, I I know that, and and this morning is kind of, will be an introductory sermon to this idea of pride. And and I know that some of you are going to be thinking in your heads, oh, I I don't have a pride problem. You know, I, I don't, that's not my deal, you know, and, and, you know, you'll, you'll say, I, I'm, I'm very humble and I'm, and I'm proud of it. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm just, I, I am a very humble person. And here's what you got to understand about pride. Pride is very apparent in other people. We can identify it quickly in other people, but it's usually not seen in ourselves. See, you, you'll hear someone talk who's very arrogant and you'll think that person's so arrogant. But that person says, I'm not arrogant, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and we'll, we'll identify pride. We'll identify arrogance. We'll identify, you know, this self-absorbedness in others, but we often don't identify it in ourselves. Actually, next week, we're going to be talking about, you know, uh, finding pride in our own lives because we often disguise pride with, with other things. But before we get into that, I, I want to deal with this idea of pride in the way that it affects us to God. Nebuchadnezzar says, I have this story, and it's for all people. He says, everyone needs to hear it. Look at verse 2. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Look at verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, and notice how Nebuchadnezzar is living his life at this time. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest. You see that, those two words? At rest in mine house and flourishing. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing. Isn't that how we'd like all of our lives to be described? I mean, we'd all, wouldn't we all want to be described? We want our finances to be at rest and flourishing. We want our marriages and our children to be at rest and flourishing. We want our jobs and our businesses to be at rest and flourish. And here's what you got to understand. Nebuchadnezzar was in a good place in his life. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. And he says in verse 5, I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts upon my bed and visions of my head troubled me. 
Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. So he says this dream, and then he says, I need, I, I need someone to help me understand the interpretation of the dream. Notice verse 7. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. We talked about all of this on uh, last Sunday morning. And I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him, I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the vision of my dream that I have seen, and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed, and I saw, and behold, a tree. Now notice the dream that he has. He, he sees a tree. In the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. So he sees this tree, and it's a big tree. Now, here's what you gotta understand about this dream, okay? It's about a tree. But if you and I were a tree, we would want to be this tree. Because notice what he says. He says, the height thereof was great. He said, this wasn't a small tree, this was a big tree. Look at verse 11. The tree grew and was strong. The height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof unto the end of all the earth. This tree was a tree that the entire world could see. In his dream here, notice verse, the last part of verse 11 there. The sight thereof to the ends of all the earth. Everyone on earth could see this tree that was strong, that was great. Notice verse number 12. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and it was meat... For all. Now, the word meat in our King James Bible simply means food. This tree is not producing, you know, rabbits and, and birds, but it's producing fruit. You know, it says, and it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the bows thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. So this tree was a powerful tree. This tree was a big tree. It was a mighty tree. And this tree provided food for all the animals and all the different things that dwelt in it. Notice verse number 13. I saw in the vision of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher. And in holy one came down from heaven. Now I want you to notice, keep your place there in verse number 12 and just go down with me to verse number 20 because I want you to understand the, the idea of this dream, okay? In this dream, he sees this tree. It's a great tree. It's a big tree. Verse number 20. The tree that thou sawest which grew. Now this is Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar about the, the dream. He says, The tree that thou sawest which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much, and it was meat for all, uh, for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. Notice verse 22. It is thou. Now this is Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel says, hey, that tree that you saw, that big tree, that powerful tree, that tree that provides shelter for all the animals, that tree that provides food for all the animals, and that tree that is so big that everyone in the world can see it. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, it is thou, O king, verse 22. He says, it's you. Thou art grown and become strong, okay? So this tree represents Nebuchadnezzar, and in the dream, the tree is lifted up. The tree is powerful. The tree is succeeding, but notice, in the dream, the tree is lowered. Look at verse 13. And I saw in the vision of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, hew down the tree. So there comes this messenger from heaven. He says, cut that tree down. 
Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from his branches, verse 15. Nevertheless, leave the stump of its roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's and let his beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. Now, we're gonna, uh, this is kind of a long story, so we need to go through the story just to set the context. When it says seven times there, the, the word times just pictures a, 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 a time frame, okay? Now, this could be days, it could be months, it could be years. Probably it is years in, in the context here, but he says, let seven times pass over him. And, and I want you to understand, what was the point of this dream? I've seen this great tree and then bringing the tree down, cutting the tree down. What was the point of all of it? Verse 17, this matter is by the decree of the watchers. And the demand of the word of the holy ones to the intent. Now he says, here's the intention. Here's the point. To the intent that the living may know that. And I want you to make note of this phrase because it comes up three times in this story. That the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of man and giveth it to whomsoever he will. He says, the reason you had this dream, Nebuchadnezzar, the reason that you saw this vision, the reason you saw this tree that was powerful, that was mighty, and then it got cut down and it came down. He said, the intent of it is to show you that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it unto whomsoever he will. Look at verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished. He was astonished for one hour and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. He said, The tree that thou sawest, and we already read this verse, go down to verse 22. It is thou, O king, that art great and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven, and thy dominion to the ends of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the root thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. Notice verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has came upon my Lord, that they shall drive thee from men. So he says they're going to they're gonna drive you from men. Now Nebuchadnezzar might be thinking, well, th- this is... This is, uh, this is not literal, right? This is just uh, uh, an analogy, right? But notice what he says. That they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts. He said, you're going to live with the animals, Nebuchadnezzar, of the field. And they shall make thee to eat grass. You're going to eat grass as oxen. And they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know, notice it, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. And giveth it unto whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the root, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee after that thou shalt have known. And I love this phrase. You ought to underline this in your Bible, if you don't mind underlining in your Bible. I love this phrase in verse 26. That the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee. And break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. And if it be the lengthening of thy tranquility. See, here's what you got to understand. Nebuchadnezzar lived in a time and lived in a place and was in a position that lent itself to pride. He was prone to pride because Nebuchadnezzar was a man of great power. Nebuchadnezzar was a man of great prestige. 
Nebuchadnezzar was a man of great prosperity. He had many possessions. He was a very successful man. He was successful in his business, which was warfare. He was successful in his kingdom. He, he, he had a great reputation. And because of those things, he was prone to pride. But here's what you got to understand. We all, all from time to time. Now, maybe not to the extent of Nebuchadnezzar, because Nebuchadnezzar is, is, is an extreme example, and I believe probably the reason that God chose him for this story. But we all have opportunities from time to time where we have the ability and we might be prone to pride. Now, when we talk about pride, we're not talking about pride like like, I'm proud of my son, you know, or, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of, uh, I, I did a great work. When we're talking about pride, we're talking about that arrogance. We're talking about that puffing up of self and lifting up of self. And you've got to understand that we all, from time to time, can be in those positions. You see, some of you, from time to time, in different places in life, will be in positions of power. Maybe you're the boss. Maybe you're the director. You're, you're in charge, you know, you, you are the manager, you've got the, you know, you, you do the hiring, or you decide the bonuses, you sign the check, you know, maybe in whatever area of life you're in, from time to time, you may have a position of power, and that position of power, you've got to understand, is prone to allow you to lend itself towards pride. Maybe you've got an area of prestige. Maybe you're not the boss. Maybe you're not the most powerful, but you're the, you're the, you're the most skilled. You've worked there the longest. When people have a question, they ask you. You're the most accomplished. You're the most successful. Maybe you don't write the check, but, but you've been there a long time. And even the boss comes to you and asks you questions because you know more than, than he does. Or maybe you haven't accomplished anything. Maybe you just happen to be, you know, uh, have the right connections. You just happen to be related to the owner. So you get to come in and boss people around. You, you haven't really accomplished anything. You just happen to have the right last name, right? So people act as if your opinion is more important than other people. And that is an area of prestige. Maybe you have a position of prosperity. You're, you are resourced. You are wealthy. You, you make, maybe it's because you've worked hard and you've made a lot of money, or maybe you inherited it all, but for whatever reason, your, your car is nicer than other people's, your house is nicer than other people's, your clothes are nicer than other people's, and because of that reason, people laugh at your jokes when they're not funny. <laughs> people act as if they're very interesting in what you, you, know, you have to say when you're not that interesting. See, you got to understand, from time to time, we all find ourselves in places where we might lend ourselves to pride because of power, because of prestige, because of prosperity, because of positions that we're in. You know, it, it, I was laughing. I debated whether or not to use this illustration, but I, I think I'm going to. My wife and I were laughing because a couple weeks ago we were at Faithful Word, you know, preaching in, in Arizona. And when we were at Faithful Word, and, and I, I, we love Faithful Word. That's a great church. Pastor Anderson's doing a great job over there. But when we were at Faithful Word, you know, people were coming up to us and saying, Pastor Jimenez, I listened to your preaching online. It's such, a, you know, such an honor to meet you. You know, uh, there's ladies giving gifts to my wife and saying, oh, it's so great to, to meet you. And, you know, you know, we've heard so much about you and all these things, you know. And, and it's funny because, you know, here we're just, you know, Pastor Jimenez, you know. But then it's funny because, you know, we're laughing about it because Pastor Anderson comes here you know, and people are like starstruck. They're like, Pastor Anderson, you know. <laughs> but over there, he's just the pastor, you know. But from time to time, we all find ourselves in places where people honor us, where people listen to us, where our opinion matters, where people look to us, you know, where you're in that meeting and all the heads turn to you because you've got to make the decision or you've got to give the advice or you've been there the longest. Whatever it is, we all find ourselves in positions that lend themselves to pride. 
And the problem with that is that pride often has to be lowered. Look at verse 28, Daniel 4, 28. All this came, to, came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. So he has this dream about the tree. The tree is huge down. No one can interpret it to him. None of the magicians, none of the Chaldeans, none of the, 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 the wise men. Daniel comes and says, here's the interpretation of the dream. You are the tree. You are that great tree. You are that powerful tree. You've succeeded. You've got power. You've got prestige. You've got prosperity. You, you've got the position that lent itself to pride. And King Nebuchadnezzar, God is warning you that he's going to cut down your tree. That the most, that till, till thou know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of heaven. And he wants to teach you a lesson. Now, 12 months later, the the dream's all forgotten. Look at verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the place of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that... Notice notice the pride in how he speaks. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Now, notice verse 31. Verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, while he's going on this rant about, look at how great I am. Look at what I've done. I mean, if this was today, Nebuchadnezzar would be on the computer right now updating his Facebook about how great, you know, things are going for him. And look at all, look at all my money and look at all my houses and look at how successful I am. And, and, and the Bible says this, verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, To thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. Now look, if the kingdom can be taken from you, it's because it was given to you. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers." And his nails like birds' claws. He goes out and lives in the woods. He's, you know, out in the field. He's eating grass like an ox. His hair grows out to where, you know, he looks like some, it says it looks like feathers. His nails grow out like claws. I mean, he looks like some sort of a bird man, you know, type thing. Look at verse 34. And at the end, and by the way, did you know that there is, there, there is an actual uh, psychological disorder in which human beings believe that either they, you know, a man or a woman will believe that they are cattle. It's called uh, borotropy. I, I looked it up. There are actually people right now, you know, in, in England and in different places, mental institutions, who believe they are cattle. And, it's, it's, and you know, this is exactly what happened to uh, Nebuchadnezzar here. They, they will go out and they will eat grass and they, they think uh, that they are animals. And this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse number 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes upon heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Now, all of that was introduction, and all that was just kind of telling you the story and giving you context. Nebuchadnezzar was taught a lesson by God about pride. Nebuchadnezzar was actually brought down. He, his kingdom was taken from him. And the Bible says that he went out and he ate grass like an ox. 
For I believe seven years till his hair grew out like, like feathers and his nails grew out like, like a bird, like cloth. And he was out there and he was humbled. And after seven, after seven years, I believe seven years, you know, his, his, his uh, ability to think returns to him. And he explains to us the lesson he learned. And I want to just very quickly this morning give you three points, three lessons that we all have to learn and we all have to keep in mind about being humble and about not being filled with pride. Because here's the great thing about the Bible. We can learn from other people so that we don't have to go through it ourselves. See, God doesn't have to lower you. God doesn't have to bring you down. God doesn't have to ruin your finance. He doesn't have to ruin your business. He doesn't have to ruin your health. He doesn't have to bring you down to deal with the problem of pride. We can learn from the lessons of Nebuchadnezzar. Three points. We'll do it quickly this morning. For those of you that like to take points, number one, you've got to remember this. We are nothing in comparison to God. We are nothing in comparison to God. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 35. He says, and all he, he says, here's, here's what I learned. Here's, here's what, I, what I learned. Verse, no, let's, let's begin reading verse number 34, just so you get a little bit of context. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised the, and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth. Now, here's... There's importance in that phrase because that includes Nebuchadnezzar. Because he realized, I'm just an inhabitant of this earth. I'm just a human being. I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. I'm just a person. And he says, and all of the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. See, Nebuchadnezzar learned this idea that I'm not as great as I think I am. And I may have built a great business. And I may have built a great, you know, uh, financial strength. And I may have built a great kingdom. And I may have a lot of things. And I may have a lot of prestige. And I may have a lot of honor. And I may have a lot of people who think my opinion matters. And who look at me for advice. And who ask me questions. And who take orders from me. But he says, I now understand this. That all of the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Because when we compare ourselves to God, we are nothing. He understood this position that no matter how successful you are, you're still a human being. You're still a sinner. You still need the mercy and the grace of God. Keep your finger there in Daniel chapter 4. Go to me the book of John, John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. Let me just quickly tell you another story, John chapter 3, about John the Baptist. Many of you are familiar with the story. We've dealt with it before. But let's look at it real quick. Because John is the opposite of Nebuchadnezzar. He's a very humble man. But John tells us basically the same things. Notice John chapter 3. Now, here's what you can understand about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, his ministry was flourishing. It was growing. The Bible says that all of Judea came out to hear him speak. I mean, he had huge crowds. He was baptizing many people. In John 3.26, the Bible says, And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizes, and all men come to him. So at this point, John's ministry is dwindling. Less and less people are coming to hear him speak. And the result of it is that when Jesus showed up on the scene, John looked over at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. John basically brought Jesus on the scene and, and, and announced him to the, to the world. And people began to follow Jesus and they began to 
unfollow John. They weren't following John anymore. And these people come to John and they say, hey, remember that Jesus? Look at verse 26. They came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness. Remember that guy that you promoted? Remember that guy that you, you know, put his name out there and you made him famous? Behold, the same baptizer. Did you know that he's doing what you do? You know that he's baptizing people like you baptize people? And all men come to him. They say, John, have you noticed the attendance is down? I always think it's funny. And I'm not mad at you if you've done this. But I always think it's funny when we have a lower Sunday, people walk up to me. Do you notice the attendance was down? Like, no, I didn't notice. You know, I'm the, I'm the pastor of the church. I've given my life to this ministry. But no, I didn't notice that the attendance was down. <laughs> when they come to, Jesus, uh, to John, they say, do you notice the attendance is down? No, I hadn't noticed, actually. And let me tell you, they're all over with Jesus. Look at verse 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, notice what he said. He said, I am not the Christ. He said, I never said it was about me. He said, I, 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 I'm not the Christ. And, you know, maybe this is a silly illustration, but the, the way I think about it is this. And I, I think TV has, has affected a lot of people's thinking because I think most people live their lives in a way as if their life is a TV show and they are the main star. You know, <laughs> life is about me. I'm the star of this show and everyone's a supporting role, you know, in my greatness. But John said this, he says, I'm not the Christ. He says, I'm not at the center of God's program, but that I am sent before him. Verse 29, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. He says, I'm not the bride, and I'm not the bridegroom. He says, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my, this my joy thereof is fulfilled. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, at a wedding, the stars of the show are the bride and the bridegroom. And he says, I'm not the bridegroom. He says, I am the friend of the bridegroom. And he says, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He says, I am fulfilled. He said, I am content. He says, I am happy in the position that God has given me, and I'm not Christ. I'm just the supporting cast. I'm the supporting role. And notice what he says in verse number 30. He must increase. But I must decrease. You know what he was saying? Here's what he's saying. He says, I'm nothing. He's saying, all the inhabitants of the earth are disputed as nothing. He says, it's about God and not me. It's about Christ and not me. It's about him getting the glory and him getting the fame, him getting the people, him getting the accolade. And I am just here to serve and to help. He says, I understand that we, in the comparison to God and in the scheme of things, are nothing. And the agenda of God. See, I'm not the star of this show. Nebuchadnezzar understood this after his episode. He understood, I am not what this whole thing's about. Go with me to the book of Galatians, just real quickly. Galatians chapter 6. You're there in the book of John. Just go past Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, into the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse number 3. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 3. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. just want you to see this verse quickly. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something, for if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. You see, we have a whole lot of people 
out there deceiving themselves because they say, well, I've got this right and I've got this, you know, and, and I, de- I don't deserve that and I deserve this and you're not going to treat me this way. And here's why you think that way. Because you think you're powerful, because you think you've got prestige, because you think you've got prosperity, because you think that you are something and you deserve something. And a man who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself. Because we all have to get to the place where we realize I'm nothing. It's about Jesus. It's about Christ. He must increase, and I must decrease. Go back to Daniel chapter 4. Notice verse 35. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. Number one, we learn that we are nothing in comparison to God. I'm not the star of this show. But number two, I want you to understand this. We learn that we can do nothing to stop God. Not only are we nothing in comparison to God, but we can do nothing to stop God. Notice what he says in verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Notice this. And none can stay his hand. The word stay means to hold back. He says when God decides to do something, no one can stop him. When God lifts somebody, nobody can stop him. And when God brings somebody down, nobody can stop him. He says, none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? See, Nebuchadnezzar understood this idea that, number one, we are nothing. But number two, we can do nothing to stop God. And John understood this. Go back to John chapter 3. Notice verse number 27. I meant to tell you to keep your place there. I apologize. Go to John chapter 3. Look at verse 27. John 3.27. I want you to notice the similarities. Okay, keep your finger there. Go go to John 3.27 and and have your finger there in Daniel because I want you to notice two statements that are made here. John 3.27, because notice what John said. He said, the Bible says, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Here's what John understood. They said, well, John, remember you had that big church and you had that big crowd and you had all those, uh, you know, all, all, all those successes and you were, you know, people were, were listening to you and people were honoring you and people were so impressed with you. And here's what John understood. He said, that was given to me from heaven. I didn't earn that. I didn't give that to myself. He said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Now notice what Daniel chapter 4 and verse 26 says. Notice what it says. Just flip over back to Daniel 4.26. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the, of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee after that thou shalt have known, notice that phrase, that the heavens do rule. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. I have a lot of money. Do you know that you got that from heaven? You know that heaven rules? Not the only reason that you're successful, the only reason that your marriage is good, the only reason that your health is good, the only reason that your children are successful, the only reason that you've got a nice car or you've got a nice house, the only reason that you have that job that you've been there for so long that you now are running the show even though you're not the boss, the only reason you have those skills and that wisdom and that talent and that ability is because God gave it to you. It's because heaven rules in the affairs of men. It's because anything that you've received came from God and not from you. See, the problem that we have is that we get a little taste of success and we say, look what I did. And God says, no, it came from heaven. Until you know that the heaven, the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it unto whomsoever he will. Notice verse 36. We saw number one, we are nothing in comparison to God. We saw number two, we can do nothing to stop God. God raises who he will, and he lowers who he will. And you can't stop him. You can't stay him back. You can't stay his hand back. You can't even question and say, what doest thou? Because we are nothing in comparison to God. We do not decide. We, we are not he who ruleth on high. 
And we can do nothing to stop them. Number three, we can, we can be brought to nothing by God. We can be brought to nothing by God. Notice verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and my brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my Lord sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And notice the last phrase in verse 37. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. See, God can bring you down any time he decides. God can take, all it takes is one car accident and take your health like that. All it takes is one, you know, just your, your, your business. You say, well, I've got such a great job. Your business can go out of business like that. The economy can collapse like that. God can take whatever you've got at any moment. So why would we be lifted up in things that we have no control over? That is God who gave them to us. It is God who sustains us. It is God who blesses us, and God can remove it. See, Job learned this. God can take away whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and there's nothing we can do about it. And we better have the attitude that the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, because it wasn't anything that I did to begin with. We are nothing in comparison to God, and we can do nothing to stop God, and we can be brought to nothing by God. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll, we'll be done. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you go from the back of the Bible there, the book of Revelation, you go past the book of Jude, which is just one book, and then you got 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, and then you got 2nd and 1st Peter. If you're going backwards towards the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 5. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Notice verse number 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with, here's the key word, humility. For God, notice, for God resisteth the proud. See, when you get lifted up with pride, when you start thinking a little too highly of yourself, and, and, and we all say, well, I, I would never think, I think I'm just a wicked sinner. But when you start acting as if you're owed something, acting as if you're someone, acting, I'm not going to let that person talk to me that way. I'm not going to let them get away with that. I'm going to stand up for my rights because what rights do you have when you are nothing? <laughs> what, what, what are you so upset about when we're supposed to be dead? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. If I'm dead, what rights do I have? What am I so mad about? What am I so upset about? Why do I have to argue with people and get mad at people when I am nothing? And everything that I have came from God. Was given to me by God. And can be taken by God. At any moment. What rights? What anger? What justification? What offense? People say, I'm offended. What are you offended about? Uh, you, you know, dead people don't get offended. You know that? <laughs> dead people don't get upset. Dead people don't get wrong. You can walk up to a dead person, kick them. They won't care. You know why? Because they're dead. You know what your problem is? You're not dead. And I'm not dead. And we're not dead to self. And we're not dead to pride. We're absorbed with self. We're self-conceited. We have self-love. But see, the problem is God resists the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Notice verse number 6, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. See, when you humble yourself, you have to realize that the hand of God is mighty. The hand of God is powerful. And you can be on this side of it or you can be on this side of it. But either way, it's his hand that makes a decision. 
that he may exalt you in due time. Go back to Daniel chapter 4. We'll, we'll finish up. Notice, notice verse number 27. See, before Nebuchadnezzar went into this whole ordeal, Daniel had already told him what he needed to do. Notice, notice verse number 27. When Daniel explained to Nebuchadnezzar what the dream meant and the interpretation and the fact that he needed to get this under his uh, idea that the most high ruler in the kingdom of men, that he giveth it to whomsoever he will. When, when, when Daniel tried to explain to King Nebuchadnezzar that, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to understand this. You are a king, but you are not the king. You are a boss, but you are not the boss. You may have some power, but you are not all-powerful. You may have some glory, but you do not possess all glory. You are just a man, and whatever God has given you, it's because he gave it to you. And when Daniel explained that, he says, here's what you're supposed to do. Look at verse 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee. And he says, here's what you should do, king. Number one, break off thy sins by righteousness. See, pride affects your relationship with God. Pride affects your relationship with God. And it affects your relationship with others. Look at, verse, look at the part, second part of that verse. And thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. He said, you are mistreating people. He said, you are mistreating the poor. And you are mistreating the Lord. And it's all because of pride. And you've got to understand this. Pride affects our relationships with God and with Others, pride is the problem at the center of all our problems. And we have issues with men. And every time, listen to me, listen to me very carefully. Every time you have a disagreement with someone, every time you get an argument with someone, every time you have an issue with someone, well, I don't think you should speak to me that way, or I don't see it that way, or I don't think you're right, I think I'm right. Every single time it's an issue with one or more than likely both of you being filled with pride. Because here's the problem with pride. If I'm full of self, I have no room for anyone else. There's no room for God if I'm full of myself. And there's no room for others if I'm full of myself. So when that pride begins to weld up inside of you, when you begin to get upset and begin to say, well, I don't, I don't deserve this. I deserve better than this. When, you, when that pride begins to well up and when you begin to think, you, you know, I'm, I'm better than this. I can't believe they treat me this way. When, when, when you start thinking, I've got power and I've got position and I've got authority and I've got prestige and I've got prosperity and I'm not going to let people do this. Or Look at how great I am. When you start thinking that way, you ought to just remember this. That the most high rule is in the kingdom of men and giveth it unto whomsoever he will. And I love this phrase, and I want you to bring your attention back to it in verse number 26. That the heavens do rule. See, when somebody walks up to you and says, that was, that was a great sermon, Pastor. You know what I should say in my head? The heavens do rule. Man, church is really doing well. We had a great attendance this Sunday. It is the heavens that rule. Man, your business is going great. It's the heavens that rule. Man, you know, you got a lot of finance. That's a real nice car you're driving. It's the heavens that rule. You've you got a beautiful family. It's the heavens that rule. Your, your health is so great. It's the heavens that rule. It is heaven that gave it to me. I can only receive what heaven gives. And when heaven decides to take it, it's okay with me. That's what John said. God wants to take my ministry. It's fine. He must increase. I must decrease. Because we need to understand this. There is... We are nothing in comparison to God. 
We can do nothing to stop God. And we can be brought down to nothing by God. Let's bow our heads